day. But uh, hopefully where we end up will be glorifying God, and that's like good enough, right? You should always feel nervous when I say, I don't know where we're going. Um, ask my wife. She's with me periodically when I drive and have no idea where we're going. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you would be with us. Um, I pray that you would help me to um, speak in a way that's faithful to you, Lord, and that, that brings eyes onto you, Lord, that, that I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't focus on myself, that, that I wouldn't focus on things that are my agenda, that I wouldn't um, get bogged down in stuff that isn't about you, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just, just move in a big way. Um, I pray that you would look for receptive soil in the hearts of the folks who are here this morning and um, touch, touch the people who are here. Just, just move, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We are working our way through John, and this is actually a section that is typically a part of Easter, but Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday, uh, and that's good, so we're sort of in Easter season. Sound right? Um, we did not do an Ash Wednesday service, so if you missed it, you're all right. Oh, really? Ow. <laughs> um, we're, like I said, we're working through John. Um, where we're at in the previous sermon series, we sort of closed off the, uh, the ministry portion of Jesus' life. Um, and, and it concluded with this big, grand miracle where he brought Lazarus back to life. And all of a sudden, you know, word is spreading and there's a huge crowd following him. And the Pharisees have decided that they're going to murder him. Because uh, murder, not kill, uh, for the Sunday school class this morning. Um, the, the Pharisees have decided they're going to murder him because he's um, dangerous. Because he, he, they're worried about a revolt starting and they, they can't deal with that because um, lots of people die when rebellions happen. And so they've decided that they're going to kill him. Uh, Jesus, um, then as he approaches the capital, uh, he goes into hiding for a little while. And as he comes back to Jerusalem, which is the capital and it's where the temple is, um, the church begins to, or the Jewish faith begins to prepare for Passover. Um, and uh, Jesus, uh, you know, comes to the comes to the city for Passover, and there's this huge expectation, right? And and there's a series of signs that take place that John identifies for us. Uh, Mary uh, uh, dumps a um, what did I say? It was a, an $18,000 bottle of, of perfume over, over Jesus to prepare him for the grave. Um, not nearly as wonderful as Batman cologne, um, because you can't be killed while you're wearing it. Um, that's what the box says. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Should not have said that. Um, um, the other thing that happens, so we, Mary pours this oil over him. We, we find out um, that it's basically a preparation for the grave is really what it is. Like Jesus, it's a foretelling of the fact that Jesus is, is on his way to death. Um, the, uh, in the last sermon, we looked at the triumphant entry. Um, and that's where like Jesus approaches the city. And thousands and thousands of people come out, and they're waving palm leaves. We usually do that sermon on Palm Sunday, but it is not Palm Sunday. Um, it is not, because uh, Irving's here. Um, 
but but they would typically do that as well, welcoming a conquering king. And so they had this huge expectation. And it's kind of one of the things we touched on. We're going to talk about it a little more today. They had this huge expectation that, that Jesus was going to ride into town and, like, kick some butt. Right? He was, he was going to be the hero that they, that they needed in the moment. Like an action hero who would, would swoop in and, and um, fight the Romans and, and chase off the bad guys and, and save the nation. And, and they were ready for, for that. They were ready for a soldier king. And Jesus shows up riding a donkey to basically make fun of them. Um, you know, and letting them know this is not who I am. Um, and when he arrives in the city is where we're going to pick up. Um, we, uh, we see where, um, um, something happens that is, is a little different. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 20, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, it should be on the screen. Um, now, amongst those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, now, when it says they were Greeks, they were probably not there from Greece. They were probably Greek-speaking folks, right? Because most of the people in the world spoke Greek. Um, it was the common language and, and everybody, you know, everybody spoke it because that way you could understand people from anywhere in the world. Um, it was the language of commerce. Um, and these guys were probably from, I actually wrote it down so I would remember it. Uh, Sephoris is the name of the, the city. Um, and it was part of 10 cities that were established, um, in Israel as a way of sort of making it, um, not Jewish. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It was called the Decapolis, and like um, various folks that came along had trouble with the Jews because they were very distinct and very nationalistic, and so they established settlements for people to live who weren't Jewish. And their goal was, um, I'm sorry, I just saw a small child throw a piggy bank. Um, <laughs> their goal was uh, to, to make them not Jewish. And so there were a lot of Gentiles, and, and Greek-speaking Gentiles specifically, who were living in, um, in the country, and these guys were a part of that crowd. Um, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, these guys, they approach Philip, and the reason they probably approached him is Philip's not a Jewish name. So, like, when you look at a crowd of guys and you got to talk to one of them, you look for the one that's least threatening, right? And in this case, they picked the guy who had the same kind of name they had, right? The guy they could blend in with easiest. And um, being that he's from Galilee, he was from a community not very far away from where they lived. Um, it doesn't indicate that they knew each other, but, like, they're from the same area, right? Um, and And... I don't know about up here, but I know in the South, Southerners like to talk to other Southerners more than they like to talk to Yankees, right? Um, and, and um, well, I do know about here because I know, like, locals tend to congregate, right? Um, not that I felt unwelcome. I actually love it here. People throw cologne at me. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it was a hint, I'm sure. Um, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, the way this is phrased in... Um, in the Greek, uh, what, what's written here um, isn't just that they asked him, sir, we, we wish to see Jesus. Um, it actually implies that over a period of time they asked multiple times. They were pressing him to see Jesus. Now, these guys being not Jewish, right, um, this would have been a little controversial. Uh, Jewish people were... Racist, I don't know how to say it nice, like <laughs> nationalistic, that sounds nicer, right? Um, they, they didn't like folks who weren't Jews, right? 
and, and they didn't like folks who weren't, um, even if you converted to the Jewish faith, right, you were a different class of Jew. I mean, like, you were supposed to be Abraham's descendant and fit all of these standards. I mean, Jewish was a big deal. And it was hard to convert to Judaism, by the way. You didn't just do it one day, right? Um, you did it over the course of several years where you demonstrated that you were actually going to do it. And at the culminating moment, they circumcised you. If you don't know what that is, ask um, John. He'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> he's got a, a master's degree in, in Israel. So um, he can answer. Um, so so um, um, for Gentiles to approach Jesus, if he brought these folks into his fold, it would be controversial, right? It would be something where, like, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, right? Like, which is something, you know, that, that's not real popular amongst the Jews. For him to have Gentile followers would be even more so. Right. When we talk about like Jesus teaches um, about love your neighbor as yourself um, and he tells a story about the Samaritan. Um, there was a popular argument in in uh, in Israel at the time where people would argue about who is your neighbor. And there were all thing, sorts of things that they said. But like most Jews agreed that Gentiles weren't your neighbors. Right. Um, and definitely everyone agreed that Romans weren't your neighbors. And absolutely no one believed Samaritans were your neighbors, whereas Jesus taught Samaritans, the guys you hate the most, are your neighbors too, right? So, like, like this is sort of fitting with the larger message of Jesus' teaching, and that is that folks are welcome, right? Um, folks are welcome, and they're made acceptable by faith because God has grace. Um, what we're seeing here is this is the very moment and this is what John is depicting. This is the very moment where it goes from being a Jewish religion to the outside world stepping in and embracing Jesus, right? We see other instances of folks approaching Jesus, but he would say over and over again, I am not here for you people. I'm here for the Jews, right? I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. And this is the point in time where the story changes, um, and actually, when they say we wish to see Jesus, um, what they're actually asking, what the, what the phrasing implies is we want to talk to him, we want to ask him questions, and we want to follow him. These are folks who are approaching, asking to convert. Um, and, and, you know, the, for, for Jewish folks, this would have been controversial, would have been difficult. So Philip doesn't take it upon himself. He goes and he tells Andrew. <laughs> He's like, what do we do with these guys? They won't stop bothering me. They're asking to follow Jesus. What are we supposed to do? And Andrew, being a little more energetic, says, let's go. Let's go do this. Um, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, Jesus' response is sort of perplexing. Um, And the reason that it's perplexing is he doesn't address the Gentiles at all. Um, And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, He he says, listen, they come to him, hey, all of these non-Jewish people, they want to follow you, right? And Jesus says, all right, time is here. I'm going to die now. Like, because when he talks about his glorification, like, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about going to the cross. He's talking about, about the end of his life. Um, and, and we've talked about this in this series already, that glorification in this context literally means God's just going to reveal himself, right? 
Because God is glorious in and of himself. It's like one of these awesome things about him. Like my wife is pretty. That's just part of who she is. Um, and, and, and so like when Jesus is crucified, when he goes to the cross and he's obedient to the Father, um, God reveals himself and that revealing is glory. Um, and so he says, listen, the hour has come. It's going to happen now. Well, what the heck changed? Um, I'm going to offer a suggestion, because um, he doesn't really ever explain what changes. Um, but there's a couple of guesses here. Um, the Jewish people were always supposed to tell the world about God. If you look in the prophets, there's quite a bit of material about it. And they just didn't do it. Um, for the most part, they just sort of huddled together and decided they hated everybody else. Right. And they decided to fight their neighbors and they decided, you know, if you were a Roman wandering around in a Jewish city, it was distinctly possible that somebody called a zealot might walk up to you and stab you in the back in the middle of the crowd and walk away. Um, it happened a lot. Um, and, and the reason it happened was they just didn't like anyone else. They wanted to be themselves by themselves. Um, So the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Um, I have never gone farming. No, I drove a combine once, very badly. Um, I've planted multiple gardens that have turned out even worse. Um, But the one thing I'm sure of is if you eat the seeds, they do not turn into plants. Sound right? Like you, I mean, that, that's pretty much a basic. Really, some of you are farmers. You can't really answer that. Um, I, in fact, I read, a, I read a story about difficulty in, uh, in uh, training farmers in, in Africa with these, you know, these like, starving communities. They would give them um, seeds to plant, and they would eat the seeds. And they, they just couldn't fathom the idea of burying something they could eat right now. And, and, you know, they, they would train them, they would show them the whole nine yards, but these folks were hungry right now, and they wanted what they wanted right now, and so they wouldn't plant, they would eat. Um, and, and what Jesus is saying here is, look, um, unless, you, unless you plant seeds, you're not going to get anything more. And he says, um, the day is coming, I'm going to die. If I don't die, if this does not happen, I'm it. Because Jesus is God coming into this world and living a perfect life, okay? Um, Living a life that is blameless and sinless. He obeys the laws perfectly. Does better than I do. Um, Thank you for not amening. Does better than you all do. Um, He does better than any of us. And Jesus stands alone as perfect. Um, His death makes it possible for all of us to be perfect. Because he takes punishment for our junk, Every rotten thing you did, everything you hide in your heart, everything you lay at night and think about and regret, every ounce of it, he took on himself the punishment for that. And if you have faith in him, you are forgiven. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to chase after it. You don't have to um, contribute to the pastor's hot tub fund, though. That would be nice. Um, I was trying to figure out how it would fit in the bag. Um, You don't have to do any of that stuff. You have faith in Christ and follow him, and that's what makes you acceptable to God. And so Jesus says, listen, the time is here. Um, Unless I allow myself to be killed, I'll be alone. But when I die, it'll bear much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Um, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you grab a hold of what you have right now, like it's all there is, right? And you say, well, I only live once. Um, I'm going to do whatever is the most fun thing right now. I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care if it's what God designed me for. I don't care about anything. This is what I'm going to do. If you hold on to it like that, you will end up with nothing in the end. What Jesus is saying is you have to be able to let go. You have to be able to put it down and accept what God has for you. You have to like accept that forgiveness and come under his teaching and come under his like lordship. Lordship means he's the boss. I'm sorry, God has to be the boss. It's just true. Um, if you're willing to come under his lordship, you give up what you have now, but what you get is eternity. And what you get is something far better. Um, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Um, there's a lot to this passage. We're not going to dig into it real deep. Um, but basically he's saying, listen, follow me. Make me Lord. You know, obey, you know, be in my group, right? Come under my salvation. Have faith in what I'm giving you. And eternity is yours. You will be with me. And the Father will honor you, meaning the Father won't look at you as a person who's been wicked or has you know, hurt folks or stolen or done anything else. Um, he'll see you as somebody that's worthy of honor. Now we're going to hit pause here um, because Jesus is laying out an interesting dynamic. Um, last week we looked at the Jewish folks, folks who were good people, right? And we're pretty sure that all the folks around them were jerks. Got that? Because that's what the Jewish people did. Like at the time, it was very common. Um, we've also been watching the Pharisees who were like, you know, super holy, super church lady kind of folks, right? Um, and, and these folks are like, like opposed to Jesus. And the folks who are, you know, the Jewish people are opposed to who Jesus really is, right? These Gentiles, like as Jesus grows in popularity, they're not Jews. They haven't been able to become Jews. But they approach him saying, well, how do we get what you got? Um, there's a contrast here. And the difference, ultimately, as we go forward, as believers in this era of the church, like the time that we live now, um, as believers, we're acceptable to God, not because we're awesome, not because we're better than that guy, right? Not because we're better than Eric, not because we're better than uh, Jeremy, not because we're better than Jess, not because of how awesome we are, but because of how awesome Jesus is, right? Um, and there's an awful contrast here. I've been in a lot of churches, and not this one is a great thing about it. It's not been my experience here. But I've been in a lot of churches where folks will look at people on the outside, folks who are not from amongst us, with a great deal of suspicion and judgment, right? Or... Um, folks who are different racially or folks who are different, just look different or folks with ugly backgrounds, right? And they'll look at those folks with ugly, awful backgrounds and they'll say, you don't belong and you pretty much can't ever belong. Because unless you become like me in order to follow Jesus, you can't be right. And what we're seeing here, John's laying it out, and this would become a cornerstone passage in the long run because a lot of non-Jewish people became Christians, and this was one of the verses that the early church folks would go back to and they'd say, but they don't have to be Jewish. They can just believe. They can have faith in Jesus and that's what saves us. Um, 
oh, we're going to skip over that. Um, 27 to 28, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Or, so Jesus stops mid-sentence and prays. Um, and this prayer, like, it's hard to get the weight of it because there's a lot there. What Jesus stops and says, he looks and he says, I'm about to be arrested by my own people. I'm about to be tortured for a couple of days straight. I'm about to be stripped naked and dragged through the streets carrying the instrument of my death with me, and then they're going to nail me to it, and I'm going to hang there and suffocate and bleed to death in horror. And he's looking at this, and honestly, if any of us were about to go through that, I don't know about you guys, I'd be crying and begging no, right? I mean, he looks at this thing that is terrifying, um, and he says, my soul is troubled. By the way, to recognize my soul is troubled, about a month ago, we talked about that with Lazarus, right? He's literally, he breaks down. He, he's emotionally moved. He cries. He's angry. It's right there. He says, what am I supposed to say? He says, Father, save me from this hour. Like, God, don't make me do this, right? Um, don't make me do this. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He says, but you know what? God, don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. But I'm here for this. This is what I'm here for. And so I'm going to do what you want. And so Jesus agonizes, is terrified, is, is, is broken over this, and stops and says, you know what? God's asked me to do this. And he does it primarily out of obedience to the Father, right? But the other thing there is he does it for you. He does it for all of you. Not because you deserve it, not because you're handsome, not because you're awesome, not because you're anything, but because he did it for you because he loves you like as a father loves their children and, and would do anything for you. And so Jesus says, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it for you. Then a voice came from the heavens. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What's he saying? He's saying, I've glorified my name and I'll glorify my name again. Now, who's he talking to? Um, he's talking to Jesus, okay? Because there's a big crowd of people there, and some of them hear it, and all they hear is thunder. And other folks hear it. In fact, actually, it's with the next. And the crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered. And others said the angels have spoken to him. So some folks heard a voice, and some folks heard thunder, right? And what that implies is they didn't quite catch what was said. Um, but who did catch it was Jesus, right? So God talks to Jesus and he says, listen, I've glorified my name and I'll do it again. He reassures him as he prepares to go to the cross that, don't worry, glory is coming out of this. I'm going to reveal myself to the world um, through this. And how does God do that? Um, by saving us, right? Um, he does it by saving us. God's glorified when our wickedness is cleaned, God is glorified when the worst people in the room are, are made right. God, I can't believe it. I'm, so, today is an anniversary for me. Um, some of you all know this. I don't talk about it a lot. This is probably the only time you'll ever hear it in a sermon. Um, I, I had a drinking problem when I was younger, and I am 10 years today that I quit drinking. 
And it was after Jess prayed that God would kill me. And I woke up one night at 2 in the morning and I laid in bed just crushed over the shame of the stuff I'd been doing. And I begged God to fix it. And at the end of it, like, because Jesus died for me. And I don't share this to tell you how great I am. Actually, it's not a great thing. I'm deeply ashamed of that period of my life. And I don't talk about it because I'm not proud of it. Um, But I'm sharing it now because it's easy to look at me and think I've got it nailed down. It's easy to look at ourselves and think, I've got it nailed down. It's easy to be a person who's sinful and broken and wicked and think, I can never reach that. Here's some bad stories. Talk to my wife. But God has made me right. God has made a lot of people right. I've seen God make people right here. And if you are a person that God has not touched you and you are not in this place with him, all you have to do is have faith. Jesus said, or the book of Romans says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved. Um, all you have to do is come under his lordship. And it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how bad you did it. He will make you clean. Um, and so when Jesus goes on, he says, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. They didn't understand it. What do you mean? When he said, for your sake, it means that Jesus is struggling and he says, God told me to go through with this because I'm doing it for you, right? It's for their sake that God reassures Jesus. It's for their salvation. It's for you that God reassures Jesus in that moment. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out and, I, and when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. Um, What he's saying here is he's saying um, the judgment is coming. God is going to punish sin, right? How does God punish sin? He punishes Jesus. Um, God judges the wickedness of the world, and through his own son, he makes us right. Um, And ultimately, he does it to glorify himself, um, to demonstrate his love, to show his amazingness, Now will the rule of this world be cast out, meaning Satan, meaning sin, meaning death, meaning like everything that sits on your chest and reminds you of how awful you are, right? And how you can never be right before God. Everything that crushes you and tempts you and drags you, the loneliness, the hate, the shame, all of that garbage. The guy standing behind it, pushing the buttons, is literally going to lose because Jesus is going to die and he's going to raise from the dead three days later. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will all people draw, I'll draw all people to myself. Come back to the Gentiles, right? Like, when I come back, when I go up there, when I'm raised up, when I'm hung from the cross, I'm drawing the world to me. And I'm doing it for you. So that you, no matter how unacceptable you are, can be right. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They basically turn around and they say to him, wait a second. Wait a second. That's not how God works. That's not how God operates. We know that when the Messiah shows up, when this like promised person shows up, he's going to kick some butt. He is not going to die. God has to play by my rules. And basically all they're doing is demonstrating that they don't get it. They don't get that they need this. What they want is Batman. Someone to fight their fight for them. 
Um, What they want is to be reminded of how awesome they are. What they get is forgiveness. So the crowd answered him. We have heard, oh, I'm sorry, I read that already. Um, The Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Who is this guy? Like, this can't be him, right? There's incredulity there. They just don't buy it. Um, So Jesus said to them, The light is amongst you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. He says to him, listen, you don't get it, but I'm standing right here. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Listen to me. Believe me, and you can be in the light, because right now you're sitting in the darkness. And you're so confident in your sight while you sit in the darkness that you can't see where you're going. You're going to get lost. Pay attention. And these guys had it kind of easy because Jesus was right there. And any of you all ever say to yourselves it would be much easier to believe if God would just do some stuff? I want to see some, like, fire rain from the sky on bad guys. You know, I want to win the lottery. Show me. Come on. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, I'm right here. Believe. Right? Ultimately, God brings belief about not because we see cool stuff, not because of you know the awesome blessings he pours on us or so every day can be a Friday or some other nonsense like that. God creates belief in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. And actually, some of you all have never been there. Um, some of you all hear that call daily and ignore it. Some of you all need to be reminded. I'm not saying this because I'm judging you. I'm saying it because I've been there um, and... If you're hearing it now, if God is knocking on your door, if God is pushing you, if he's nudging you, if he's reminding you, um, pay attention. Because the light's with us only for so long. Um, You only wake up every once in a while and hear God's voice. For the most part, most folks live in sin and don't hear it. It's awful. I spent years doing that. Ten years ago, God woke up and talked to me, and I had the common sense to realize that I was screwed up. Um, and I know folks who are in that spot. I know folks here who are in that spot because I talk to them every day, Um, and I love you all. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Um, And the problem comes around is unbelief, right? They want God to act the way they want him to act. They want people to be beautiful and perfect, Already, and for God to be an accessory to that. Um, and Jesus presents reality to them, and they won't bite. Um, unbelief is a difficult thing. Um, my challenge for you this week I don't know, do we have a last song? Okay. Uh, we're going to close uh, with a prayer. My challenge for you this week, as you walk out of here, there are a couple of things here, okay? Um, and, and, and focus, this is big. If you are a believer, if you are somebody who's been a believer forever, if you are somebody who's got it nailed down and knocked out, and you sometimes look around and see people and you say, I am better than that guy. Man, I am glad I'm not like that guy. Or what have you. If you don't look at folks who are mired in sin and grieve for them because Jesus died for them and they don't know it. If you don't suffer when you see people suffering in their, in their lostness, like pray Pray, pray this week that God takes that off you. Because Jesus stood there and and literally, I mean, like that's, God, take this away. Don't make me do it. Right? But for you, I will.
And so if you're that person, like, fix it. If you're somebody who does not know Christ and is mired in sins, God can fix that. And you can be standing 10 years from now in a completely different place, not knowing how the heck you got here, um, and thanking God for every moment of it. Um, because it's free. It's wonderful. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this week and pray that you would move in our hearts. Pray that you would touch the folks who are here who, um, who've heard the words today. I pray that um, they would have heard from you, Lord. And folks that are, that are um, stuck in their, in their Phariseeism, I pray that you would just break it. And Lord God, folks who are stuck in their, in their sin, who are, who are drowning in it, Lord, I pray that you would um, draw them to, to um, reach out for you and to look to you. In Christ's name, amen. Later.